Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. One moment, sir. Yes, I do know the drill. You knew. Hello and welcome to Still Watching, a television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Hilary Busis. And I'm Chris Murphy. And we're here to discuss the first episode of the sixth and final season of Netflix's The Crown. The debut episode is called Persona Non Grata. No, I'm not welcome there anymore. Very much Persona Non Grata. Later on, Vanity Fair's uh, royal editor Katie Nichol is going to be stopping by to help us separate fact from fiction. Very exciting. But first, uh, let's do a quick recap. Uh, it's Camilla's 50th birthday. Prince Charles is planning a party and the Queen delivers a royal snub. Your attendance not only as my mother, but symbolically as Queen, would be transformative for Camilla. She will never be fully embraced by the public until she has your approval. But how can I possibly give my approval when I don't approve? Princess Diana takes William and Harry to the south of France to play video games on a yacht, which is something we've all done. <laughs> Mohammed Al-Fayed orders his son Dodi to ditch his fiance to woo the princess. Now, very sadly, I have some work to do, but I can leave you in Dodi's hand. He is much more fun than me. <laughs> Whatever you wish, it's his command. Meanwhile, media coverage of Diana in her bathing suit overshadows Camilla's milestone birthday. What's the use of a few warm headlines when Camilla can be eclipsed by Diana at the drop of a hat? I don't want partial, qualified victory. This is war. Only total victory will do. So at the top of this inaugural episode of our Crown recap, I have to ask you guys a really important question. This show is in its sixth season. Did we ever think in the previous five seasons watching the show that we would hear a Smash Mouth song on the Crown? (laughs) Wow. Got a Smash Mouth song following a Chumbawamba. (laughs) A Chumbawamba tub-thumping drop. They're really hitting us with the mid-late 90s. They are. They they watched Jumanji. Wait, I think that's episode two. (laughs) Is that that a spoiler? (laughs) I'm so sorry. Sorry, Um, But yeah, Yeah. we're going to have a whole segment where we can talk about our favorite... uh, uh, 90s nostalgia moments. But yes, I will say uh, 
that was a it's a bracing moment. You know what? It humanizes Diana further mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she was a woman with bad taste <laughs> who loved bad pop culture. A cool mom yeah. with bad taste. Yeah. That is hundred percent Diana. I loved it. I was like, wait, was this song alive then? I again because the nineties <laughs> yeah. I was like I was like, wait, is this the early two thousands? Like I didn't know, but yeah. It was. You thought that Smash Mouth was the early 2000s. Well, I for me, Smash Mouth is Shrek. It's 2004. It's... Shrek came out in the year 2000. Oh, did it? Well, okay. 2001. Right. We need oh, to get gosh. Peter Morgan to write a show about when Shrek came out. Yeah, um, but obviously, you know, silly pop culture references aside, we are very cognizant of the fact that this is headed or good because this, the episode, the season opens with, you know, a guy walking his dog mm-hmm. in Paris, a car goes zoom by, and then crash. And yeah. we... Obviously, it's Diana and Dodie and other people in that car. Is it hard watching it? Do you think it's kind of cruel to set it up this way? Or is there there's no other way to do it, I guess? I think they do. They know that the audience knows where this is going. Like right. the the entire arc of Diana is a tragic arc defined by the way that her life ends. And I think that the show knows that throughout. It's not going to play coy. It's going to acknowledge that from the start and then kind of do the flashback thing. I don't know if a flash forward is totally necessary since we do all know how the story mm-hmm. ends, um, but I can understand dramatically why they would choose to acknowledge it and then kind of pull back and say, like, but we'll get there. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound like a, a crown simp, but I feel like that was maybe, like, the most humane way they could do it, just sort of get that out of the way. We don't see it happening. Right. We, we're not, at least in the first episode, we're not with her mm-hmm. In the car, we, we're not there, and yet we, you know, we were like, we acknowledge this is how it ended. Now let's roll back the tape and yeah. see where she was yeah. eight weeks before. So. I liked the honking horn, kind of fading into the theme mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. Was, yeah, no, it nice was touch. it was it was artfully done. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we're not going to see the accident any more than that. I don't think anyone wants to see mm-hmm. you know any of that stuff. But I think one thing about the foreshadowing, and then it goes back in time, is like it's only eight weeks. I mm-hmm. really had forgotten. Okay. I mean, I was a teenager. I don't wasn't really paying attention. But like for some reason, in my head, like Diana and Dodie had been together for years. Six years yeah. in my head. And it was wild. like no, it was not even two months. Yeah, that was really crazy. which is really interesting. And I think that this episode does a really good job of setting the groundwork for that relationship in a really kind of intriguing way. You know, I mean, first we should say that, you know, like Diana goes to Tony Blair and <laughs> Tony Blair's wife calls William an alien. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about William? Yeah. Not to go back to uh, the last season, but big age j- jump. I watched season yeah. five right into yeah. season six and I was yeah. like, that is not well, the Well, yeah, same it's point. like when, when Claire Foy suddenly becomes Olivia Coleman, you're like, oh, that's... Okay. I, I feel like in five years you don't age that much, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, yeah, we'll like take... one week. It's supposed to be like one week in between yeah. <laughs> season five to season He's six. He's got like soap opera baby syndrome. Yeah, but um, so that really did throw me for a loop. But that was nice to see Diana and, you know, playing with Tony Blair's kids. And... Yeah, I mean, I, I think this episode does also does a good job of showing, like... This version of Diana, and maybe it's the truth that like she was re- like really devoted to those kids and really good with those kids, mm-hmm. and people liked her and people supported her, except for the queen, who is like, <laughs> you can't be half in something, you know. Mm-hmm. And Diana's now learning, you know, because Tony Blair is like basically she wants to do good. She's so famous, she's so beloved. Can't we put her to good use? Mm-hmm. And the queen is like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> her, which is which is where I don't know. We were talking about in our sort of little teaser episode, but like. Is Peter Morgan going to be critical of the Queen? Because here is where I mean, he did make the movie The Queen mm-hmm. with Helen Mirren, which is more critical than yeah. the series The Crown. I would, yeah, I would say. exactly. And so I'm curious to see, starting with this first display of QE2 being super stubborn, 
is that going to persist as the Diana stuff unfolds? Because, like, by certain estimations, like, the, uh, the Queen was really bad about all of oh, this. Oh, yeah. And but, I just I, – but that's not really the portraiture that this show has given of Elizabeth in the past exactly. I mean, it has portrayed her as, you know, having a big uh, – maybe blind spot's not the right – phrase but like a big mental block when it comes to squaring like the personal happiness of her loved ones and <laughs> this kind of sort of imagined like sense of what her duty is like I, I don't think that there is there's not like a there is a rule book but it also kind of feels like she just sort of has decided that there are things I, I mean according to her characterization on the show obviously I don't know the real woman but that there are things that the queen mustn't do and there are things that she must and even in the year 1997, you just cannot embrace a divorced woman, even yeah. if she is the mother of your grandchildren. Like, Yeah, I would definitely say uh, that the crown has never painted Elizabeth to be mother of the year to her actual right. children, right. although she is mother to the country. And whether that is more important than being mother to her literal children, I think it does a pretty fair job. I mean, her refusing to go to Camilla's birthday party yeah. Yeah. was so... Just say, say who's saying, like, straight out, like, how can I say that I approve when I really I don't, don't approve? approve. <laughs> At yeah. this point... And after... Charles pointing out, like, they've been separate... He's been separated from Diana for five years. <laughs> yeah. They've been divorced for a year. Yeah. I think separated five more on top of that. Yeah. So it's been almost half, yeah, half it's, a decade, over half wild. a decade. It's been half the, one, Harry's life, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's just wild that even then she cannot, like, find a way. And, of course, we know the end of the story, which is that Charles and Camilla are going to have to wait even longer to be together officially because in the wake of Diana's you death. You can't do that. Yeah. I will say the show really has always been, like, Charles and Camilla are endgame. Their love is real. <laughs> OTP. OTP. Yeah, yeah, with Emerald Fennell. With Emerald Fennell. Yeah. And I think... Knowing that, it's so hard to take, you know, what we know in the 20 years since uh, or so, 30 years since, um, out of watching this show where it's like, you know that actually Charles and Camilla, like, are really in, like, that was mm-hmm. the love of his life. So the yeah. queen, especially after what she did to Margaret and not allowing her sister mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get married because of a divorce and not learning from that, I think that's pretty critical of the queen. And I think we're sort of— yeah. You know, landing more team die. Not that there are sides. Not that we're putting two strong women against each other. But <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I think the the project of the show, among other things, has been to show Elizabeth go from human princess, and then as she hardens into an institution, uh-huh. and obviously, like certain things, like compassion for your children kind of have to go by the wayside when you are the institution. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting in this episode to see Margaret, who has very many reasons to resent her sister and kind of like want her sister to be alienated from people, is like, hey, maybe like ease up on Charles a little (laughs) bit. Like he's happy. He's going to be the king someday. We want a happy king. Yeah, that shot of Leslie Manville just kind of (sighs) quietly enjoying the party and like looking at them. It's really it's it really hits you. Yeah. Like the Margaret arc on this show has been great. I really hope that um, she's kind of fallen a little bit by the wayside because it's just like she was basically smoking and drinking that that's what she was doing for like, yeah. for, for like 50 years, years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know apparently she would go to the opera but she would show up late so they would have to hold the opera for her and then she would show up and everyone would have to stand to acknowledge her in the in the box and whatever what a queen but i hope we get i hope we get some really. margaret fun this season but i also am wondering how you guys feel about i mean obviously the diana stuff is what everyone is tuning in for mm. how much Charles Camilla, do you think the show can sustain and keep and hold people's interest? Like, is it interesting to you guys? Well, I think our silence sort of (laughs) (laughs) speaks volumes. Um, I'm not not interested in it. And I do think, especially from the sort of spin doctor of it all in terms of 
you know, how do you make Charles and Camilla legitimate? I do think that yeah. is more mm-hmm. interesting than their... The strategizing. The strategizing yeah. is more interesting than their actual relationship to me. Yeah, well, what I... The the non-Diana thread, or the non, like, specifically Diana thread in this episode that I really uh, responded to and thought was really interesting and well done was Dodie. Uh, mm. Because mm-hmm. I, I think that he's sort of... He's sort of a mystery to even people who know a ton about Diana because, as you said, their relationship was really so short in real life. And so I I admire the show taking time to flesh him out as a character. He isn't just sort of a guy who shows up and it's a story about her. It's really a story about the two of them. Um, Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I don't know. There are ways in which he's as tragic of a figure as she is. He's the victim of these insane expectations. He has this dictatorial father who rules his entire life he can't get married without his father's you know and he just really is so nakedly yearning for muhammad's approval that he you know will just torpedo his entire engagement to go after this thing that may or may not exist just because he wants to he just wants to be like daddy's boy and i don't know i think that there's there's like a real poignancy to his story too it's really i think that is so true poor kelly (laughs) really didn't know she existed before the show yeah yeah i mean i think that um last season when they did the the episode where they did like muhammad al-fayed's backstory it Mm -hmm. was a bit like why because <laughs> isn't Dodie the one that she was with? But now I get it. Yeah. Well, because if you don't know, if you don't know his yeah. whole deal, then yeah. you won't understand why it's such a big deal for him that Dodie get right. Diana. Right. Exactly. It's so. And I, I. Well, no, I will go there because this is actually very important because race is very important in the crown, and we're seeing this even today. But mm-hmm. like Muhammad's obsession with being an Anglophile, being British, it's mm-hmm. so being t- an Englishman, being an Englishman, yeah. and being mm-hmm. respected by the Queen and being respected by these people, it's so tied to whiteness and race and wanting to be mm-hmm. a part of this culture that has excluded him that he will never actually be a part of. And seeing that pressure, him having these fantasies and these delusions of you know becoming an Englishman, and seeing how that kind of destroys and ultimately ruins and takes his son's life away Mm -hmm. is really devastating and is an interesting storyline to watch sort of play out because we see the car crash and we see Mm -hmm. the only reason that Dodie's going after Diana is because his dad is like, I will not love you unless you do this. Like, I don't love you now. (laughs) I don't love you and I will only love you if you bag Diana. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, basically. It's really wild. Are yeah. you saying that colonialism has, like, lot lingering effects? <laughs> Let's not be crazy, Richard. <laughs> in, the, in the British Empire. No, that no. please. I can't imagine. Um, yeah, no, I, I, think, I think that it is really great that the show is taking these pains to humanize Dodie because I think, you know, sometimes you watch, like, these true stories about a tragic death or a murder or something, and someone feels sort of, like, narrative collateral. Like, it's just like they're like, oh, yeah, and then they were there. Ron mm-hmm. Goldman was there, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's like, I think that it's important to get the full scope of what this meant, not just to, like, people who are following the royal family, but there was a whole other family that was, in some senses, royal itself mm-hmm. um, that was deeply, deeply affected by what we see happening. And not just deeply affected by it, but also, like, a catalyst for yeah. why the crash happened in the first place. Just right. so, like... And I don't know, the craziest part about Muhammad's entire plan is that it kind of worked. Yeah. Like... Oh, yeah. He managed to hook that fish. Yeah, but what does that say? And that brings me back to Diana. Like, what does Mm -hmm. that say about the space that she was in? Because, you know, she's sort of reeling from this divorce. She's sort of seems like the most vulnerable uh, little bird that Mm -hmm. is anyone who's just there would be able to forge a connection that Mm -hmm. way. At least at this point, I just I found myself 
and props to tall Diana Elizabeth Debicki, who I was like, <laughs> wow, she's probably like six feet and she's doing really good. She's six three. She's really tall. That is so tall. Yeah. Like, she's we, incredibly that is tall. Incredibly tall. Yeah. And she's Jacob Alordi tall. <laughs> it's really. But I think <laughs> something really fantastic about her performance, and I think a part of the reason why season five I lost a little bit of interest is because we sort of got away from Diana. Like mm-hmm. she was sort of depressed Diana, and then she was sort of like not in it mm-hmm. as much, and then it was. Uh, we, I think Elizabeth Debicki is getting more interesting material this season. Oh, a hundred percent. And we're seeing at least on the boat, on the yacht, like she's definitely still delicate and still this sort of like uh, bruised bird. But we're she's a little flirty. She's, the light sort of comes back to her eyes a little bit. And and also, I think that the show does a good job, and especially in the Emma Corrin season and in this season, I think you really see the ways in which Diana is, you know, this wounded and vulnerable person. But she's also canny, and she can she can play the press. She knows how to manipulate things for her own side as well. Like when she, you know, takes the boat out to yeah. the paparazzi. And- Didn't know you were so interested in fashion, Nick. Did you choose it deliberately? Deliberately, huh? Well, you must be aware that today's Mrs. Parker Bowles' birthday and a big party is being thrown for her this evening by the Prince of Wales. You know, I'm having trouble hearing you. I'll tell you what, you leave me and my boys alone, please. And you're going to get a big surprise with the next thing I do. Oh, I was that. What do you mean a big surprise? <laughs> we'll see. It's like, hey boys, like this I'm gonna give you, you yeah, I'm gonna give you what you want. Now, can you leave us alone? And like, I mean, you know, there is the tragedy of her thinking that she can play them, and in the end, she can't. But there yeah. is a way in which she does know what she's doing, and the show, you know, shows that she has agency. That she is, she is able to swing the narrative, um, and that she's doing this specifically because it's Camille's birthday is kind of a <laughs> delicious petty. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that that showing a little bit that Diana does kind of still like to needle that mm. that thing. Diversion. Um, yeah, that, she, that headline. She could have gone. Talk to, to talk to the paparazzi in shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah. And she didn't because yeah. she's strategic, you know. Yeah. I think that Biggie's right. performance has really only gotten better, you know, now that she's had some 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 time in the role. The head cocks and the sort of like mm-hmm. the sort looking of Looking under the, her hair. Yeah, looking under the hair. Yeah. The, 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 that sort of like the roundness of the voice. Like it just it's uncanny, but also not an impersonation, which I think is a really hard line to walk. And I mm-hmm. don't know that everyone on the show has always done this cough, cough. Jillian Anderson is Margaret Thatcher. Um, who, a performance I like, but like that was a lot. Uh, yeah, you know? there was a lot. Um, but no, she's a, she's a thrill to watch. Um, what do you guys think about, I mean, I guess, Chris, you're, well, you're both younger than me, but like, Hillary, you, <laughs> prob- you, pro- you probably remember better than Chris does. But like, for about two years, Prince William was like on everybody's wall like pictures of him like tiger he, beat. he tiger beat. he was like a big okay i deal. don't i did not know that and yeah, I'm he was a heartthrob and yeah. it was it was weird for me personally this oh, is a prince bit of a William, brag not prince charles okay yes, i was so yes. confused wow we're not that old <laughs> no i'm talking about prince philip <laughs> <laughs> okay prince william was a heart okay was a heartthrob. prince henry the eighth um <laughs> yeah. no okay. yeah william, william william was a heartthrob was. which was always weird for me personally because my brother as a teenager looked exactly like prince william <laughs> wow really? i'm gonna find okay. a picture and i'm gonna show you guys have to you're gonna believe me i hope you fared better Yes, his hair is much thicker now. (laughs) Is it is it weird seeing him? I I don't know. I for part of me when when I was thinking about this possibility seasons ago, like eventually they're going to get to that stuff, and I was kind of like maybe they should just not have William and Harry ever on screen. Mm -hmm. But now obviously they have to, and I don't know. It works for me. Like I think the actors they chose are, are good, but like. I guess we're going to have to see a lot more of them, right? What do, what do we think about this depiction thus far in this episode? I am always struck, again, I, I obviously know Prince William and Prince Harry, I actually do, I promise. Um, and 
I didn't realize, though, like, how different in age they were. Like, mm. I didn't realize that, okay, Prince William was sort of a teenager, mm. right? Like, he was at Eton. He's, like, you know, kind of, like, becoming a man. And Prince Harry's literally, like, a babe. I mean, he's, like, a He's, top, he's 12. He's, like, well, yeah. But he seems so yeah. a young 12. He, yes. It, and I, the way that it's being played is he's, like, a little boy. He's mommy's little hugger. And, like, yeah. he's, you know. And Wombat yeah. is, like, yeah. becoming and has thoughts about Dodie and mm-hmm. doesn't really, yeah. thinks he's corny. And I think. He, yeah, yeah. That is interesting. I think they've been keeping them sort of at bay because they're going to have to push them forward as the season progresses. And uh, I'm, I'm leaning in to the portrayals thus far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a delicate thing. You don't want to focus too much on them, I think, because, you know, they they don't really... They don't have a ton to do in this part of the story, mm-hmm. no. really. You know, they're no. they're collateral damage. They're going to walk sadly behind a funeral procession. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. the, in those famous photos, exactly. Like, but yeah. it is important, I think, to meet them and start to get a sense of their personalities, considering what role those two characters are going to take in the end. It feels. Is it starting to feel kind of gross to call these people characters when most of them are still alive and on the public stage? And yeah, that's I think that's a that's a very interesting and a fair point. And we yes. should be cognizant we should maybe of that. note also, you know, what what their camps have said about, or at least what Williams camp right. has said about the crown in the in the lead up to this season. Um, yeah. He had a a quote in the press that said, uh, "I think uh, William will not watch the show, but he will be sickened by it." Yeah, which right. is, yeah. like. I mean, that's, you know, that's your prerogative. That is 100%. That's totally fair. Yeah. I mean, I guess the show opening with the way it does, like, you know, this car chased by these paparazzi. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, here we are part of that same rabid interest and chasing them into the dark. And, uh, oh, well, (laughs) like, I don't know. They're making the show. Here we go again. Yeah. Yeah. So we're watching it. But, yeah, I would say as a premiere episode for the final season that has to kind of set a lot of table, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I think they did a good job. I, I feel... Uh, perhaps guiltily, perhaps not compelled by what's to come, though I kind of just wish we could hold off the accident for as long as possible. You know, like, I, I don't want to stay on that yacht for a while, but I don't know how likely that is. Yeah. I I mean, I, Elizabeth Debicki being sat on a boat is... It's pretty good. It's really I will watch. Good. I will watch hours of that, yes. I mean, so have you seen Tenet? Because <laughs> she does that in that. <laughs> yeah, that scene with uh, Dodie and Diana on the boat, and she's sitting at the piano, and you can see her reflection in the piano, mm-hmm. and she plays the piano is so totally encapsulated all of that and i do think showed like a genuine connection i was like wait maybe this could be true love maybe something real can come from this absolute parent trap yeah which (laughs) is yeah which is also a tragedy like if muhammad had just like took a chill pill and waited a few months or a couple years or something yeah maybe something things could have been different it could have blossomed but making us watch the, the 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 delicate formation of this relationship um and root for it makes it sting all the more what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. goddamn you, Peter Boy. <laughs> I guess he knows what he's doing. He did yeah. it again. Yeah. Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, more on The Crown with our royal editor, Katie Nichol. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Here at Vanity Fair, we are spoiled for choice when it comes to Royals correspondence. So over the next few weeks, as we watch The Crown, we're going to phone our friends, get a couple of different royal experts to help separate fact from fiction. Yes. Today, we have Vanity Fair's royal editor and co-host of Vanity Fair's Dynasty podcast, which you should all listen to, Katie Nichol. Hello, Katie, and thanks for coming on Still Watching. Well, hello, and it's wonderful to be back doing another podcast with Vanity Fair. Thank you. Actually, before we get into that, I'm sort of curious. I mean, you are the royal expert of royal experts. What is your what is your feeling about the crown generally as a depiction of the royals, its its accuracy, its entertainment value, all of the, how do you feel about the show? Well, I think on entertainment value, it's it's pretty unbeatable. Um, the casting is incredible, and the, I actually was lucky enough um to go onto the set for one of the earlier series and to see Buckingham Palace recreated and Downing Street, and you know clearly this was an expensive production, and you can see that reflected in the costumes and the sets. But it really was mind blowing to be on it, and you know I've done this job writing about the royals for over two decades now and you know I I would like to think I know the subject very well and I still find myself sort of watching this and having to remind myself that I'm watching a drama that's not to say that everything I see is factually accurate (laughs) because this is a drama and I think it's really important that we remember that but it's a drama about characters that are so familiar and about events that are very much etched in our our memories both you know distant and not so distant and it's brought to life in a in a very real way. So if I have to watch it and sometimes remind myself I'm watching a drama, then anyone that's sort of not a royal expert, perhaps just a royal fan, might just need to be reminded um, that, you know, you are (laughs) watching drama. And of course, there's been so much talk about whether it should carry a disclaimer pointing that out that it is a real you know it's based on a real story but these are this is a fictitious script with fictitious characters and my sense is particularly when they delve into some of the more personal issues and this is this feels so personal because it's so close to modern history it's so close to all of the events that yes they happened in the 90s but we still remember them so clearly then I do wonder if a disclaimer just out of sensitivity and responsibility for me, I think it probably would have been the right thing to add to the series, but it's probably the only addition I would make. As you said, you you know you've been covering the royals for twenty years. This first episode of The Crown, we we see sort of a different side of Diana, and Diana sort of hanging with Dodi Al Fayed on that massive super yacht. So, if I'm not mistaken, you've interviewed Camilla Al Fayed, Dodi's sister, who was on the yacht with Diana and Dodi. Is that true? Yeah, that's right. In fact, I've got a copy of the book right here because this was my very first book that I wrote. It's called um, William and Harry Behind the Palace Walls. And I remember very clearly sitting down with Camilla Fayed and, and interviewing her and talking to her. It was the first time she'd ever spoken about that summer of 1997. She's a, she's a teenager. She's, a she's around the same age as William yeah, and Harry, she's a little a- older than them. Yeah, so she's she's a, perhaps just a year or so older than William at the time. She's got her older sister Jasmine there and their younger brother Omar. And um, she said she says to me, you know, that summer we all became a team. 
I was 11 at the time and my sister was 15. We used to Mm. hang out with William and Harry all the time at the palace and we were so excited about spending the summer together and it was wonderful. We adored each other and we did everything together. And I think when um, when I watched the first episode and I and I saw that camaraderie between between Camilla and her brothers and sisters and William and Harry and it was you know it, it was lovely to see I mean William and Harry loved going away on holiday with their mum it was always very different to holidays with dad which would be in the sort of cool castles of Balmoral with a usually a pretty drizzly summer over here in the UK <laughs> and so to be going over to Saint-Tropez would have been very exciting and I think all of that excitement is captured and also a bit of apprehension and you see that particularly with with William and Harry who are quite uncomfortable about the presence of all the paparazzi who surround the yacht both the Jonicol yacht and Fayed's villa when they realize that Diana and the boys are guests there and i think the episode captures um, very well that that intensity of what they were constantly up against not just Diana but but increasingly the boys as well and and for for actually much of that episode William's sort of shut inside playing computer games and I write in my book how much he and Harry were into computer games I say here Harry was the self-proclaimed <laughs> king of Sonic the Hedgehog and his mother could barely keep him away from the screen so there you go it's nice to be proven right through the crown if nothing else <laughs> Wow, <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the William and Harry's uh, apprehension around the press um, is kind of something that comes up for the first time in this episode, um, which is understandable. But we do see that Diana has a more a more ambivalent relationship, maybe, with the press. We watch her kind of go up to them on a boat, you know, tell them that she's going to do a quid pro quo if they'll leave her alone, then she'll pose for them. Did that ring true to you? Yes, I mean, it's interesting because they mock up the front page of the mirror and there's that picture of Diana sort of posing, you know, like a like a swimwear model. And, and she didn't, in fact, quite go that far. But certainly she, she went up to the paparazzi um, ostensibly to plead with them to leave William and Harry alone. But, you know, Diana was a great manipulator of the press as well. And what that episode captures is that the same time this holiday is taking place, Back at home at Highgrove, it's Camilla Parker Bowles, as she then was, now, of course, our current queen. It was her 50th Mm. birthday. And you've got Charles preparing this very important milestone birthday party and giving a speech and briefing his aides, Mark Boland at the time, who was in charge of Project Camilla Parker Bowles. That was the project to, (laughs) to make Camilla more acceptable to the general public because she was still very much the reviled mistress. And it's very interesting because mm. you've got Charles briefing his aide saying, I want positive coverage of Camilla in the papers. At the same time, the papers are still absolutely obsessed with everything Diana is doing. So, of course, when she jets over in the yacht's tender in a fabulous swimsuit to go and ask <laughs> the press to back off, they get a fabulous set of pictures, which knocks Camilla Parker Bowles and, the, and uh, Prince Charles off the front pages. So that whole Prince Charles actually calls it a war in the tabloids. He calls it that in that first episode. It was a war. It was the war of the Waleses that was played out in the tabloids. <laughs> and that, again, is captured, I think, quite accurately in this episode. Um, it feels like she made a splash in part because of that amazing swimsuit, the leopard swimsuit. It's such a stunning swimsuit. And uh, I'd love to know how much of a splash that made as a, like a fashion moment when that was captured in the newspapers. Well, I mean, Diana had the most sensational figure. I mean, her body was incredible. She was absolutely beautiful and um you know whether it was on a magazine or a newspaper you know that issue would sell and she had a great 
flair, I think, for fashion and for style. She was bold with her colours and her prints. She was experimental. And, you know, she was perfectly confident wearing a, a, a pretty high-cut, sexy leopard print swimsuit. And I think for those of us old enough to remember the, that period of the 90s, I mean, I can see that crystal clear today as, as it was back in 1997, that image of her and all of the tabloids. And I think it's become, well, probably one of the most iconic parts of her of her wardrobe because those pictures just went around the world because she looked so stunning. And here she was being entertained by the Fayeds, very controversial, very Diana, looking sizzling hot in a leopard print swimsuit. <laughs> what are you kind of looking for? Looking forward seems like the wrong, <laughs> the wrong way to phrase and since we know what's going to happen as these mm. episodes go on. But kind of what, what are you looking for, I guess, as you watch the rest of this first batch of episodes? Well, it sounds mawkish, doesn't it, to say, you know, you, you want to see how the car crash is, is portrayed. And in fact, the series mm-hmm. opens with, um, with, a, with a French man walking his dog who comes out for a, a late night walk and, and witnesses that crash in the tunnel. So you're very aware from the very moment that the sequence, the, the credits start rolling, that this is where, you know, this is where this story is all going. This is, this is going to be a, a milestone moment in this series. Um, I think sensitivity is is really the word that springs to mind for me because for William and Harry, um, not that I necessarily think they will watch it. I know Harry has watched previous series of The Crown. Um, whether or not he's going to watch this, we'll, we'll have to wait and see if he says anything on the subject. I think probably um, The Prince of Wales will be less inclined to watch it because it's going to be a very mm-hmm. painful reminder of of the past and I suspect that while there might have been an interest in some of the more historic series of The Crown this is just a bit too close to the bone so what am I looking forward yeah, to so I... so what am I looking forward to well, personally I'm looking forward to seeing how William and Kate's courtship is portrayed in this series mm. because I wrote a, a book very much about their relationship and their courtship at St Andrews it's the making of a royal romance um, I, I believe it was used actually for some of the script writing so I shall be watching very very closely and seeing just how much <laughs> might have been lifted from my book um, but no I <laughs> oh, well we oh, have to have cool. you yes yeah, we have to have I you back once back. we see that episode. I will come back and let you know what I think might have been um, extrapolated from from my book. But jokes <laughs> aside, and 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 of course they do use these books as as, as matters of research. I think how you know how they portray that courtship, um, you know how it developed in that bubble of St Andrews is is going to be interesting to see. And you know watching the princes grow up, um, which is basically what I've done for most of my career. It's going to be a bit of a trip down memory lane. Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. When we return, we are celebrating the 90s, baby. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starred Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Before we go, um, we're going to do a final segment 
dedicated to the 90s when this season is set. Well, at least this first part of the season. This show is a time capsule. Um, was there a moment pop culture that jumped out for you guys? I mean, obviously, I already mentioned Smash, Smash Mouth. Um, I mean, Hillary, you seem to be a fan I, of the Jumanji reference. God, I loved, I loved Jumanji. I also spent uh, the mid-90s watching Jumanji mm. on a loop. I never got to watch it outside on a yacht. In really? South of France? Oh, you must. You must. <laughs> yeah, in, Pitt, in Pittsburgh, yeah. Pennsylvania, that's a common place <laughs> yeah. to watch a movie. Um, but yes, you it is. You have three rivers to choose from. <laughs> oh, wow. And uh, Kristen, what was yours? Okay, mine, there was one line and then one outfit that I thought were so 90s. One hearing the line, the ever-reliable Daily Mail, really just got, <laughs> really, <laughs> yes, really, yeah, took, yeah. really took me out. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was ever true, but I was like, that's, that's a funny way to talk about the Daily Mail. Um, and then I loved Diana's cheetah print suit. Mm. I felt that was so mm. 90s. And then I went and looked up the actual photos of her wearing that suit. Because that's the interesting thing, too, about the show is that, like, a lot of these outfits, you can, like, just, like, look at the proper paparazzi shots and see, like, the version, the real version compared mm-hmm. to the the crown version. I just was like, oh, that's so Diana in a cheetah print. Yeah. Bathing suit no, like yacht. my mom, like Diana was her number one style icon. Like she Good had taste. I'm pretty sure she had a bathing suit that looked just like that. And I bet she got it because of Diana. Yeah, and you don't see that anymore. I don't, I don't blame her that she looks <laughs> fabulous. Um I enjoy Elizabeth Debicki in the Diana voice saying Jumanji. I texted some <laughs> friends and I said, I have news for you. Elizabeth Elizabeth Tabicki says Jumanji in the new season of The Crown. <laughs> I also enjoyed her saying Street Fighter, mm. William's favorite video game. I also thought it was funny in the little conversation it's I had I put on the um closed captions. Uh, when Dodie is down talking to William, like kind of bonding, like mm-hmm. man to man, and then Diana's dropping ice cues on them. Um, they're talking about Bond. So she's like, oh, mm-hmm. we, my brother and I play Goldeneye. We like that movie. And then mm-hmm. Dodie's like, well, I'm working on the new one. And you hear William say, who's playing the Bond girl in that one? And so I was doing the math and it's like, it's either, I think it's either Michelle Yeoh, because I think that Tomorrow Never Dies was 97, okay. or... It's world and not is is not enough, which would mean Denise Richards playing Doctor no, Christmas Jones. No, that's what Denise Richards was invoked. Uh, so I wonder uh, if young Prince William would have been excited to see Doctor Christmas Jones, man, aka Denise I Richards. I bet he was. Um, did you did you have a go to Street Fighter character either? Of um, you? I'm gay, so Chun Li always every single time. <laughs> Well, that does it for this week's episode of Still Watching. Uh, If you have any questions, concerns, anything about The Crown or the real-life story behind The Crown... um, Favorite Smash Mouth song. Favorite Smash Mouth... I mean, how can you pick one, really? (laughs) Um, Yeah, actually, can you please send us your Smash Mouth song rankings to our email address, which is stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. You can find me for the time being on what was once Twitter... Uh, at Rylas, R-I-L-A-W-S. I'm, that's also my Instagram. Mm, and you can find me on both X and Instagram at Christress. You can find me at Hillabuster with two R's, except that you can't follow me on Instagram. I'm private, sorry. <laughs> sorry, that's just for us. <laughs> uh, this has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Jake Loomis. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer, and our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. Next up in your feed right now, episode two of The Crown. See you there. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. 
The festival also features diverse vendors as well as a specialty record, poster, and craft fairs, and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.